Broadsheet Radio Network. And welcome to another episode of Shared History. Stay toxic. <laughs> Throwing that in. That is the uh, that is the tagline, I believe, from our most recent episode. Yeah, yeah, we've come so far that we're now plagiarizing ourselves. <laughs> I've got my notes from previous episodes, and literally, it just said on the front, just said "stay toxic" in quotes. I'm like. I will. And you know who else does? History. History. Yep. Stays toxic. I love when we uh, personify history and we are never kind. We are never kind. No. You know what? Yeah. Uh, our intros with our tags and everything are usually like, doesn't history suck? Don't we hate history? Welcome to our history podcast. We hate it so much. We spend a lot of time on this. Please listen to us talk about this thing that we've just said sucks. And you know what? If you love something, you need to let them know how to be better. Let them know. And having let them know. having said that, Natalie, I've have some notes. Oh no. Um, but we'll talk about those later. Don't worry, um, listeners. If you want, if you want to write in and see what you think my notes for Nat are. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please do. <laughs> I need to be taken down a peg. It's <laughs> it's true. It's so true. Uh you know what? It's funny that I say that. Our our guest today is somebody who has known me a while. So if somebody was prepared to take me down a peg, it is them. And I would accept it lovingly. Our guest today is actually also one of our sponsors. So if any of this sounds familiar, that's why. Our guest is the founder of Herbiary. You've heard their ads for the last two seasons. They're amazing. Nicholas was a friend of mine from high school. I've known, I've known them for a very long time. But also just a dream of a human being has done all of the things I'm trying to choose which things now because I'm very ill-prepared at this moment. And Nicholas, you've done too many things. Well, one thing I'll never do is take you down a peg. <laughs> so one thing that will never go on this bio. Uh, Nicholas, Don't worry, I did that enough. I know, it's true. <laughs> deserve it. Uh, Nicholas is based in Madison, where they run Herbiary. Madison was an easy choice of places for Nicholas to end up because Nick loves natural spaces and that's like Madison I love because it's like a small it's a small little city with a lot of a lot of Wisconsin around it and it doesn't take me too long to get there but Nicholas is a runner they ran the nonprofit Wild River Academy out of Minneapolis for a while so nature is in their blood when they're not running they're continuing their herbal education with courses books and the crafting of herbal solves syrups and salad dressings wandering out of this world and into others Nicholas insatiably reads, which is what we were talking about the moment before I pressed record because of who I am as a person. They love to cook. They're amazing. And so is uh, Herbiary, which uh, you guys all know from our ads, is brewing without hops. And uh, Nick considers brewing without hops a natural extension of their queer identity with the phrase in this bio that I love, queering beer. 
And I'm obsessed with that tagline. Nicholas, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here after listening for so long. Um, listening and supporting, doing just just the most. Like yeah. hardcore supporting sponsor. We were really excited to have you on because I know that the last time that I got to see you live and in the flesh, uh, we were talking about an article that you had recently written that wasn't published yet that was like all about the history of herbiary, but also just of like hops in beer and not including hops in beer and how that is still beer, but like not. And that's a whole complicated thing. And I, I knew that we needed to have you on to talk about this because I frankly don't know anyone who knows as much about this as you do. <laughs> yeah, it's wild that it's not more talked about. But um, that article was super fun to write for the Tonic magazine, magazine from London. Yeah. Uh, they do a lot of cool travel writing stuff. Um, but I've been researching hops and beer for a really long time. And sort of like not using hops creates that dichotomy uh that like leads to lots of interesting thoughts whenever you create a dichotomy it's like you exclude one thing to highlight other things um and so excluding hops has created these interesting pathways well and it's interesting because when i mean it's in our ad and it's on the website and everything or your website and natalie told me about it and i'm like beer without hops what and then hearing the little snippet of, I mean, that's how beer was originally made. And it makes sense because hops are just, I mean, it's grain, but it's an herb. And back before that invention, like people were throwing herbs and stuff to make it taste good and different. It seems so obvious. And yet when I first heard it, I was like, what? I never heard of that before. Yeah, it's wild. But we're kind of just stuck with what we've got. And hops are something that people have put a lot of work into. It's sort of like grapes. It's like if someone said, you keep, oh, we've got this wine. It's really great. I'd, no grapes, though. People would be like, yeah. what are you talking about? It throws people. Yeah. I feel like especially in, in I, I guess like especially recently, because can, you can't make an IPA without hops. Can you? Thankfully, no. Um, <laughs> uh, we hear Nicholas's opinion on IPAs. Because <laughs> well, that's uh, what my partner and I constantly complain about with new breweries is that we used to like love an IPA, but we got so quickly IPA'd out because for a lot of new breweries, like that's the easiest thing to get on the shelves quickly. That's the easiest thing to be able to sell quickly. So everybody has one and it just became a lot of people's entire personalities. And then I, I was like, I checked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of what I've been reading through the years about beer history is like focused on German beer history, because the word is even mm. beer Germanic, but the IPA being like an, a British, they're putting in their own like little, little flair on the, the beer that we drink today with the IPA. So we got yeah, beer is the thing, but IPA is like the thing within the thing um, in these two countries influencing uh, what we drink now in weird, weird ways. Yeah, I'm kind of glad I can't brew IPAs just because of the history of them um, is like, I think there's a reason people try not to talk about it because it's India pale ale. It's wrapped up in British colonialism. Most, like I have so many friends who 
only drink IPAs. IPA snobs, like, how many ABV and the da da da. And I'm like, do you know what IPA stands for? They're like, no. I'm like, it's India Pale Ale. Like, East India Trading Company, all of that. They're like, what? I'm like, oh my God, it's in the name. But no one even knows what it stands for. Wow, I'm surprised to hear that, actually. Um, yeah. But I shouldn't be. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so you do spend like all day, every day, surrounded by the by the beverage community in a way that a lot of people just like don't think about where shit comes from. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're here to ruin everything for you. Yeah. Stay toxic. <laughs> History. We're going to get into a bunch of delicious, delicious, tasty uh, uh, beer and alcohol uh, history, but I wanted to spend like a little time on herbiary history. I just want to know, I want you to tell our listeners kind of where the seed of herbiary started and, and what you've been up to and how you've grown, because I know, but share the history with our listeners. See what I did? Uh, I would love to. Um, yeah, I was studying herbalism in 2016 is kind of like where I would say Erbia was born from as an origin, but something I've been thinking about my whole life. My dad handed me a rose petal when I was like eight and was like, you can eat these, you know? And I said, no, that can't be true. You playing a trick on me or something. And, and. He ate one and then I ate one and I was like, whoa, this is wild. So that memory has always stuck with me. Um, so of course I've thought about that when I was studying herbalism and then making all these things that you mentioned earlier, like salad dressings, salves. So I got to brew and beer as well. In the herbalism course had a course on brewing history and brewing beer and wine and other things as well. Uh, so that connected the two things together um, in the herbalism coursework. So yeah, that's really where it started. And then I started brewing a lot of beer and bottling a lot of beer and um, people were trying it. And I never brewed beer with hops. I started with a ginger beer and beer with yarrow flowers. Uh, That's a meadow flower. It's a kind of bitter, uh, kind of mimics some hops. Uh, And then Ah, sage and raspberries, all sorts of things that grew around where I was living in New Jersey at the time. And people would say, oh, this is really great. I would buy this. Or something I especially liked was that, oh, I don't like beer, but I really like what this tastes like. That was one of my favorite things to hear. Um, So I I don't know. I kind of wrote it off as like, oh, people say this about everybody's homebrew. I've learned that that is not the case. It's fundamentally not true. (laughs) As somebody who has had to choke down very large batches of mediocre or failed in one way or another homebrew, uh, I can say that that's not true. That was how I started learning about herbs and beer, but Herbier is business now. And so I was kind of in between things in 2016 when I was studying herbalism. It was after Wild River Academy the outdoor education organization. So I was ready for something new and ready to move uh, away from New Jersey and Madison, closer to where I grew up uh, and closer to friends, closer to family. So moved back there and started our area in Wisconsin. And um, that was in 2018. And now it's been an organization for like four years trying to bring hop-free beer to people 
which has been really interesting to explore. Because when you start a business about based around something that you do like know and love, it's like you know and love herbalism and brewing. Starting a business is a whole other thing. And yeah. it, it it's baptism by fire. I uh, I feel like Madison is a really natural home for herbiary. Just from like the beer community in I mean, last time that I that I uh, visited you in Madison, Nicholas, like we went to like a distillery, a meadery, and I think it was the first time I'd ever been to a meadery. Now there's one around the corner from me uh, and a brewery, like all in the same night. I was fine, listeners. I was fine. I was totally fine. Wasn't hung over at all the next day. Uh, but it just between like the kind of college town side of it and the kind of support of just local businesses and it being in sort of like Wisconsin's known for beer. So, mm -hmm. oh yeah, natural home. Yeah, and we have a ton of cool breweries. There's another, there's a women-owned brewery here. There's a brewery doing gluten-free beers. Um, uh, and that's, both of those things are really special. Um, but something I might talk about a little bit more later is there's still only 2% of the breweries in the country are owned by women. It's a small community, but there are female brewers in Des Moines, and it's something that I didn't know a whole lot about until I started going to breweries more. It's such a strong community, um, male-dominated, cis, het, all of that stuff in certain areas. And so this cool little coalition of women and, and you know, queering beer like you do see a lot of that in the brewery community and i love that you have that in your bio because it is such a natural extension yeah definitely i mean i've uh been growing into a transgender identity uh non-binary trans feminine um i've actually been on estrogen for fucking five weeks now um and that's been new uh so yeah, I'm exploring that identity and that I've always wasn't clear on that identity when I started brewing beer and latching onto the, the queering beer idea sort of like helped mm. bring me into a space where I was comfortable researching and thinking about uh, different histories and using beer as a catalyst for exploring my own identity in ways that mm. I, I would, didn't expect beer to, to do for me. So that was cool. Um, well do you see um, like beer brewed without hops as kind of an other, you know, being othered within the beer community? Because it is very like, this is the right way to do something or people are very stringent in particular. Extreme way to do something, yeah. It can be a very inclusive community, but it can also be almost a little esoteric. And have you noticed any othering with that bringing in herbalism to it or have you seen like a real acceptance and growth with that and curiosity uh, a little bit of curiosity mostly othering what, like yeah. what you were talking about um yeah using not using hops i think there's the ryan heitzgebot the beer purity law which wasn't called the beer purity law initially it was like two sentences in a enormous volume of laws in a tiny duchy of bavaria <laughs> Uh, so pretty inconsequential, but then it, yeah, and then 1918 in Germany when purity meant something different, people started calling it the beer purity law, and to have people still call it that way and not know that history is like 
I'm super happy to be here talking about that because it feels important for people to know that. But yeah, I, I encountered a lot of people um, and continue to encounter a lot of people who are just like flabbergasted, especially in the industry. Mm, um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, still learning about what it means. And there's even like scientific differences in a lot of my beers have flavor stability that hoppy beers don't have. The alpha acids and terpenes and hops oxidize. Uh, a lot of the hops I or the herbs I use don't have those same properties, so they won't oxidize as quickly. And so uh, my beers will hold flavor a lot longer. So you have more control over the final product and the experience that drinkers get because it, the oxidization isn't happening and the flavor profile isn't changing drastically. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Because I know it's yeah. a huge issue with wine. Well, and beer flavoring is so volatile and it's very limiting. Like, yes, there are, you know, there's clearly there's hoppy beers, malty beers, light beers, dark beers, ales, all that stuff. And you can have a lot of flavors within that, but there's so much that you can't do within the confines of just working with hops. There's also so many flavors that I feel like hops would overwhelm. Yeah, I see when a brewery tries to do an herbal beer, there's usually hops in there too. And uh, without knowing how to add the herbs and also having hops in there, yeah, it kind of like overpowers everything else for sure. Like, great, I taste a hoppy beer with a, a, the idea of what chamomile could be. <laughs> yeah. I hate floral beers. And it's because of that, because the hops are like, only it's only. It's, it's like when people joke about LaCroix, there's like an imagination of the flavor there. There's a, there's a hint, a, an eye droplet of whatever flavor. And that's what people are used to, too. Like you see people putting like cereal, like Lucky Charms or whatever other garbage bullshit in their beers that is like red velvet cake or whatever, dumping that into a boil or something. And some of those beers taste really good, but I think people use what they're used to and maybe what they're nostalgic for. Um, oh, wait, perfect for that. I just tried on a friend of the podcasts, fellow podcast, uh, on Rob Grabowski, our season five finale guests, podcast Poppin' Bottles. I, we just tried the Revolution and Garrett popcorn shops, like caramel corn beer. And it was good, but all of our responses was, oh, I thought this was going to be, I, I assumed that the caramel corn was going to be way too much, but it was like, oh no, this is just like a nice dark beer. Like a night, it's a brown ale. It's just, yeah. it's a, it just tastes like a brown ale with like a, a even sweeter, less nutty, more caramely an appropriate amount of extra sweet <laughs> the fact that all of us saw it and went this is a gimmick and it's either going to taste like caramel drizzle or it's going to not taste like that at all is how most of how i feel about most of those beers where people are like we'll try this nostalgic thing yeah which is like it's interesting to be tapped into an herbalism background to tap into that alternative like nostalgia for herbal flavors and uh, having the knowledge of them to both use them hopefully well in beers and to know to use them at all. Mm -hmm. um, it's 
connected to the history of beer, I think, in how people think about the history of beer. When someone's putting Lucky Charms in a beer, they're not thinking like beyond their own childhood. Yeah, uh, the history and, isn't really deep compared to going to going to like what is literally growing like the native plants of your surrounding region and and the world around you a little bit of a deeper history that you're drawing from mm -hmm. which tangent but i have to say it uh i'm looking at your your website right now and your merch and your logo is beautiful oh thank you but uh, it's it's a pint glass with herbs coming out of it and roots coming out of the bottom and i just love it i can also confirm that all of your can designs are beautiful yeah by all of i mean the ones that i've tried but I, you've given me a selection <laughs> so i've tried several of them mm -hmm. yeah you've probably had all of them at this point i have six now That's um, it, right i think I, I think you gave me a six pack of all different beers totally yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the logo. Oh, I'm so happy about it just to have the plants shown in the pine glass. Um, it's beautiful. Like, I want a print of that to hang. Yeah, so, I'm working <coughs> on it. Hint, hint, <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> well, I, I know what I'm getting cast for Christmas. <laughs> My only notes are that I want more merch. <laughs> we'll have tapestries soon. Hell yeah. <laughs> Be still my heart. Don't tease me. <laughs> Speaking of teasing, Queen of Segways over here. <laughs> Since we've already teased some of the uh, problematic history and also just the like hyper fixated history of beer and specifically like hopped beer versus hop free beer, take us away and tell us a story, Nicholas. Yeah. So this. Uh, what I want to talk about is the just what happened in Western Europe in the 1500s when hops became more popular and started to spread west to eventually the UK more uh, later there than in on the mainland. But um, that's sort of like where our history is anchored in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, another point, before I get too deep into that, I want to talk about something else first, actually. Um, beer is like, I want to redefine beer, just real quick. Beer, not what we think it is. Uh, it's not barley water, hops, and yeast. It's not even barley water, herbs, and yeast, I would say. Uh, it's like any multiple grain that can produce enzymes to convert their starches to sugar, water, yeast, and that's it. Uh, you don't need herbs, uh, hops, or otherwise. So people have been brewing beer all over the world. Um, I've only really focused on Western Europe because it's so central to our experience of beer here. But I think it's important to remember that as people were colonizing the rest of the world and bringing this beer there, people where they were going were also brewing their own beers. Um, I was actually going to ask, is there a region that is more well-known and maybe still today known for specifically hop-free beer because hops don't grow everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. There's, I mean, there's uh, pulque in uh, southern Mexico with, near the agave producing regions. Pulque is made from agave. It's an agave beer. Uh, and then there's chicha, which is a corn-based beer. Um, from, which, is, which is what should be thriving in the Midwest, America. Yeah, <laughs> I would love. Corn. 
to see some chicha it's gone a big lump with that i'm sorry i couldn't help myself i'm from iowa i'm legally required to sing that song anytime corn is mentioned <laughs> it's in the constitution they just it, voted it in oh god they voted a lot of stupid stuff in i wish they had done the song <laughs> uh, let's not get political no let's but what about beer yeah i mean so yeah corn in central and south america but um you don't see those packaged in an industrial capacity um even in and there's sorg sorghum beers in different uh areas of africa and millet beers as well but yeah mostly what you would see in bottles and in shops and for sale is definitely germanic beer and all of those beers will have hops in them so uh that ties back into uh western europe because as yeah colonialism bringing this beer around um industrialization being pressure from western countries to other countries to industrialize and then that brings with it you know the products that come with come with that so um but yeah back to just wanted to do with that aside but yeah back to western europe and the story the story of of, of beer becoming something else um i think Hildegard von Bingen, or Hildegard of Bingen, is a good place to start. Uh, she was a scientist, a prophet of sorts, and a uh, saint of the German Benedictine bent of Catholicism. Um, living in the like 12th century, she was like all about herbs and spices and being connected to the earth and gardens uh the ideas that she came up with in medical spaces were tied directly with what people are eating in ways that are still relevant today um she's considered to be the founder of scientific natural history in germany and she was catholic and a lot of beer at that time would have been produced through the catholic church uh, because the catholic church would uh, control the production of something known as Gruit or Groot. That is still a little fuzzy what that was exactly. Uh, it became to be known as a, a grouping of herbs, bog myrtle, marsh rosemary, and yarrow. But the records show that it could have been a bunch of other stuff. It could have been a yeast nutrient. It could have been like a malt extract. Um, it was always tied in with herbs, but that's what the Catholic Church was selling to people to get their brews started. And they were mostly selling it to people who ran households. And at that time in Europe, it was a, a lot of women who were running the household. So a lot of women were brewing beer um, and occasionally selling it. But uh, it was mostly a household product at the time uh, of the 12th century there. Um, and then sort of like zoop, 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 zoop up to the uh 1500s martin luther that dude loved beer yeah yeah martin luther loved his beer his hoppy beer yeah huge fan um he wrote a lot of stuff against it but he drank a lot of it <laughs> that doesn't sound like anyone from a religious community if you think about like prohibition like it was the same thing there like of being like this is bad but i as long as i have access to it on my own <laughs> yeah. it was always politicians had like access to like the back of the butcher's shop that had fucking taps in the wall 
Chicago. <laughs> yeah, let's let's be real. We know who you're talking about, Nat. We're talking Chicago. about Chicago. Always. Always. <laughs> We're not talking about it. But Martin Luther and his and 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 beer. So he was writing his theses and getting excommunicated and drinking a ton of his wife's beer. They're living in um, this palatial uh, house in Bavaria. And his wife, Katerina von Bora, was brewing a lot of beer uh, in the estate. Um, again, the people actually producing the beer tended to be femmes of some sort. I like to think that it's not because it was a household task, but it's because like brewing is chemistry and they were just smarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably definitely about brewing beer. Um, <laughs> smarter, more patient, more detail oriented. It makes yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. Knew about all the ingredients. So yeah. But beer was essentially woman's work female brewers it's where it started or at least at this time period who held the keys to it mm -hmm. interesting yeah and it's a lot of work so yeah. you needed a household to brew beer or mm -hmm. a community of some sort and again before like more prehistorical times when people are digging up old brewing sites in different mm -hmm. places they're finding that this is like the center of a town or this yeah. is the place people come together in the fall to live mm -hmm. before they go elsewhere as nomadic people and coming together is around a, a brewing site that they come back to every year as grain storage and brewing facilities um so beer was always about community and bringing people together um it just became monetized at some point as all good things are yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Martin Luther is in his glass uh, house casting stones, <laughs> drinking a lot of beer. Yeah, yeah, he's drinking a ton of beer. And people are realizing, reading Heather of Bingen, she talked a little bit about hops being negative, making, let's see, I've got a quote here. They make the soul of a man sad and weigh down his inner organs. I mean technically alcohol is a depressant but <laughs> and hops is also a sedative and a depressant um <laughs> in herbalism you shouldn't take hops if you're prone to de depression now yeah i don't know what that means about <laughs> beer but um not here to make claims not we're not doctors we're not doctors <laughs> no, no we no. are however professional historians wait <laughs> Wait, shit, we're not that either. <laughs> I just like phrase make the soul of a man sad. If I could say that something was my goal in life. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> what I live for. <laughs> so, yeah. So she was not a huge fan of hops, but was a huge fan of an assortment of herbs. So she loved the beer that was being produced in her time. Um, she was very connected to gardens. Her natural history was tied to plants and our uses with them. Um, Martin Luther being more interested in Protestantism taking over as the religion and controlling the money that the church was making from beer because they were selling Gruet herbs or whatever Gruet was to people. 
he wanted he wanted some of that for the Protestant church. So he got some small some duchies to outlaw uh, Gruet and instill like decrees that required hops. And he extolled the virtues of hops a little bit, but mostly talked down at uh, the use of herbs. There was this idea at the time that the herbs people were putting in Gruet and in the Catholic beers, we'll just call them that, uh, were making people um, energized and horny and all these things that were bad. I mean... <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> and it's tough to tell if they were like if that's you know it's not like they were these are true things they're slant they're trying to slander this in this weird way um, yes these beers of the time but um it worked so when the reformation happened then people were like more interested in drinking beer with hops and hops was also more controllable than a whole bunch of stuff that we don't even know what it was really so you could monetize it a lot easier, a lot more easily um, as an agricultural product. And it it doesn't grow naturally in a ton of places, but it can grow pretty readily in temperate environments. So that is interesting, though, that it can't it, the proliferation. I mean, it's interesting, but also not surprising that the proliferation of hops and beer came from like just capitalism, basically. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. We're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. I'm drinking, actually, I'm drinking a beer right now. Um, it's one of mine. <gasps> yes. Cool, so... I'll try and make it my face so it's not blurred out, but it's a, it's one it's a black is beautiful beer. It's one of the beers that we made for that campaign, if you're aware of it. Um, and so, we made what kind it. of what's in it? It's a stout to the recipe that Weathered Souls Brewing in San Antonio put out for the campaign mm -hmm. for the for the initiative, and it's brewed with uh, roasted dandelion root from Moonwise Herbs in Stoughton, Wisconsin, near Madison, and bee balm from a farm also near Stoughton, um, as well as sweet marjoram. Marjoram is the other ingredient. So it's kind of like a fernet. It's like a deep, rich, uh, malty 7% stout, but then it's got these very herbal characteristics to it. It's probably one of the strongest, most interesting beers that I've made so far. I also know that you like stouts. So, or maybe I'm just assuming that because I know that you have a Guinness tattoo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Like stuff. I love Guinness. <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> who can who cannot? Um, that sounds beautiful. That sounds mm -hmm. so good. Um, but yeah, so to get back to Martin Luther and the Catholic Church, um, it's not just beer that made this change. Beer is not really like an actor in a lot of these things or any of these things. It's sort of like along for the ride. 
and indicating uh, certain changes as it changes. But uh, most of the change came from the printing press and Martin Luther being able to get some of these ideas and wording them in ways that were attractive to people, to a lot of different people. Hops and beer just sort of like rode along with that. And brewers have always like been adaptable to the changing climates of beer. There was a law that the containers for some of the processes had to be only a certain height. And so they were re really short for brewing beer and people had to come up with all these changes to their systems to make that work. Was that to control like quantities of how much could be produced at once or? Yeah, to regulate and standardize as, as things got regulated and standardized in different places, different ways in different places, people would adapt to that. And so it was always, it was usually driven from this, this weird place. It was just top down that people had to adapt to. So um, it's interesting you say how much brewers have just been used to adaptation and change. You said climate, and I know you meant like political or social, but also probably environmental climate that's going to affect your ingredients. If religious people are saying like, we don't really like you, so we're going to make it hard for you to tweak like throughout the history of beer, it's remained pretty simple into what beer is as an idea, but it's changed so much in the practice and the ingredients and the kind of these small slight tweakings and how adaptable brewers have been throughout history and yet how rigid we seem to be now with what our views are on it. That's really interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild how it's changed, but uh, it's so adaptable. It can be just so adaptable. Um, you just need grain. You just need some grain. I was reading a book about uh, early states, and it's called Against the Grain. Um, so there's this, this theory that early states were founded on grain, and this mm. book is sort of like positing that there were a lot of other factors, but grain was important. So, yeah, people in early states were having grain, having beer. I'm sure beer was a part of that, too. Some people think yep. that beer was what brought people together into states too. So yeah. So then yeah, Martin Luther doing his thing with his theses and beer. But yeah, I think Protestantism then traveling and becoming to bring beer here to like connect that to what what's happening now. Protestantism, yeah, leaving Europe and coming here on the wings of colonialism and the colonies. We've yeah found that we've ended up with similar struggles. And then in Wisconsin here specifically, uh, and the upper Midwest, having a lot of German immigrants um, bringing with them brewing traditions. And even Norwegian immigrants have a rich brewing tradition um, of brewing indigenous beers up there too. So um, sort of just ended up inheriting this system through Protestantism and uplifting certain histories and looking down on others not explicitly usually but that's mm -hmm. how it happens something we've we've talked about it it's come up a couple times on the on under the kilt our sister podcast because we'll often joke around about how uh scots actually historically are very short i apparently only know the anomalies because all the scots i know are very tall but that the idea being the kind of like myth that um, that beer was drank more than water in the colonies and in Northern Europe and whatnot, because it was safer to drink than the water when actually it was, it was one 
in some cases a status symbol. Uh, and two, beer is high, beer has calories. Water doesn't. So it wasn't that we couldn't drink the water. It was that if, if you were working if you were working class and you were in a like high activity career, uh, you would drink a lot of a lot of times those individuals would drink more beer because they needed the calories because they were burning them on the work site. They couldn't afford food. So if anything, it was more of it was less that the water was bad and more of that beer was alcohol is actually just an actual energy source. Like it's like fructose. It also has other fun side effects, but that it's a lot of calories and that it is it is nourishment it isn't just like we're poor and water is bad it's we yeah. need high caloric intake yeah and there's history there too there's history there too and science hildegard von bingen was a proponent of boiling for sanitization i'm sure she boiled all of her beers and normally that's part of the process so to think beer is oh just safer than water well if you're not boiling your water and you're boiling your beer then, then that's yeah. already better and yeah. the alcohol too of course so we'll boil and clean our beer but we won't wash our hands or sanitize our instruments for the medical profession until the oh, 1900s we covered <laughs> wash your hands you are exposing your pores to the devil a clean hand means that Satan has access to your skin and can imbue you with mm. with evil humors. We've covered That's right. extensively, both in just our lives and also on this podcast. That's right. Natalie, you will be proud of me. Uh, I am a substitute teaching uh, a juniors in high school. We're reading um, Things Fall Apart. It's an English class. And talking about colonialism in Africa and I took a pause and I was like do you know why the western anglicanized people won everything because we were dirty and we rolled around in poop for centuries and we didn't wash our hands and we literally just got everyone sick we're disgusting and they're like wait what I was like look it up also you can take my abridged history class outside of school because I'm not allowed to teach it. <laughs> One of the kids, I was joking and I was like, you can take my abridged history class if you like. And they're like, oh, is that like for college credit? I was like, no, it's just me ranting. <laughs> but I made sure to mention that we rolled, we rolled around in poop. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. <laughs> Clean beer, poopy hands. That's <laughs> that was the motto. We drank things that were a lot safer than how we spent most of the rest of our time. That's basically what we're saying. Um, there's actually now a uh, abbey, the Maradret Abbey in Belgium, uh, is selling beer again, and it's a nun, a nun, nun-based abbey. Uh, I don't actually know what that's. It's a. I don't think it's a nunnery, but uh, it's an abbey. Maybe all abbeys have nuns, but anyway, they're brewing beer again um just last year they started selling beer and of course they're using two, they have two beers one of them has coriander and sage and the other one has juniper berries and clove so coincidence interesting yeah i, I don't know i feel like that the yeah beer has been along for the ride for some so many of the changes that we see and now that hopefully people are starting to brew with with different things it'll 
allow people to to unother mm. uh, herbs and spices in beer, and uh, hopefully that helps people unother other things. It feels very much like beer has always been like best friend energy throughout its history, and now it's very much became like main character energy you know mm -hmm. and it's like no one in history has been like let's oh, let's you know like have a million breweries and talk about the specific you know abvs and whatever like it's it's just been something that's the beer been there and it's changed and now it's become a um it's celebrated and it's no one would ever think to think so hard about beer in its beginning because it was just yeah it was just along for the ride it was changing as we were and it's interesting to highlight it now and to see what's changed what's the same and why has it stuck around for so long mm -hmm. yeah um yeah it's 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 so interesting as an object just beer itself and as a queer object is definitely a new role for beer mm. um, to think about queering beer and bringing mm. queerness to the beer industry. Uh, I'm actually working on opening at a tap room and the tap room is going to be just as comfortable, soft, um, relaxed space. And I just, I don't walk into a tap room and feel comfortable or relaxed generally. Um, a lot of hard surfaces, a lot of concrete and stainless steel. Um, Beer, especially in America, has become so, like, masculine and um, very, like, testosterone-based and, you know, you know, like, even the, like, the dumb phrase, hold my beer, you know, like, oh, I'm about to go do something stupid or something manly or whatever, and... Yeah, beer is kind of seen as, and it's always light beer. You know, give me a Bud Light or a Budweiser or something. And it's just this weird token of toxic masculinity when it started off with women and as quote-unquote women's work and a place of community and a place that in nomadic times, people would like in the fall, they'd come back to this place to come together um it's so interesting that it began and throughout its history has begin has been a communal thing and now if you look deep into it it is so exclusionary in some aspects and in certain circles mm -hmm. but yeah when i first heard queering beer i was like oh that's interesting and the more i sat and thought about it i'm like that is radical and it shouldn't be, which is why it's almost more radical. You know, it's like, this is what it started as. I'm not being like, let's do something crazy and different. It's just me going back to its roots, pun intended, <laughs> because it's going back to herbs, you know, its origins. I love it. I'm sorry. That was just me ranting about um, how much I love you, Nicholas, and everything you're doing and uh what you've opened my mind to. I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just going to quote Hildegard of Bingen again. Um, she said, and I think it's allegorically, uh, woman may be made for man, but no man can be made without a woman. Love that quote. Speaks to 
just the the concepts of woman and man and just that they're Hildegard just running around dropping straight fire. <laughs> I'm I'm loving Cass like that that notion of oh it's the idea of queering beer is radical because it's not radical that it's that thing where you're like you hear it and you go oh what a different thing like what a what a new twist and then you're like no no that makes more sense than everything else yeah it's like the being transgender is feels very similar it's always been around yeah um there's always been a gender play and there is we haven't always talked about gender this way so mm -mm. even so to yeah. look back at history is to it's yeah. very refreshing um and like back to the whole like history stay toxic yada, yada. it's this i don't know i just feel this release of you know being into biking now like breweries are like that's home base. That's where everyone goes. And it it's not a world that I'm a part of. It's one I've joined. And I see a lot of exclusionary behavior. I see a lot of like masculinity. And I weirdly feel gross sometimes of like, am I a part of this? Am I like contributing to this um you know brewer, bro, whatever, masculine be like I, I feel, I don't know, I feel uneasy a lot of times in breweries and I, I haven't thought deep enough into it or tapped into what it is. Tapped, pun intended. But. God damn it. it <laughs> I, I can't help myself. But it is. It is this, um, when we talk about beer, and beer still is very communal, but it has narrowed what the community that is quote unquote allowed to be there or expected to be there and going to a brewery especially in Iowa which is a now very hard red state used to be pretty purple kind of blue um especially from Chicago I think of breweries as um open and diverse and accepting and but there is a little bit of exclusionary just in brewing in general, and especially in Iowa of this like, oh, this is for like one type of person here. And that's not what I expect. And that's not what I want. And something about it feels icky. Mm -hmm. um, As somebody who loves to go to breweries whenever I'm in a new city mm -hmm. and, and, and try to find like a cool new one that I wouldn't otherwise be in, I feel like if I walk into a brewery, this is an oversimplification, but if I walk into a brewery and they have a kombucha on their menu, I'm like, this place gets it. I know that I'm not just going to be looking at a wall of various IPAs mm -hmm. because I've gone to several breweries that I've been super jazzed about. And then I get there and I'm like, I don't like IPAs. It's just like, I want, like, if I'm building a flight, I want there to be variety on that. I want a little bit of everything. If you make yeah. kombucha, or even if you bring one in from another brewery, I'm going to be really excited to see a alcoholic kombucha on your menu. I'm very excited to see a mead on your menu. Like, I want yeah. to stretch. I want to see you, like, welcoming, even if it's not what you do at your brewery these other things and it's like now I feel like nine times out of ten like the best I can hope for is that like 
fucking saison and a cider. <laughs> yeah, That's and cool. inclusivity breeds inclusivity. It's like if you are willing to include different types of beverages, then maybe that means you might be willing to include other different types of people. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could remember where I was. I got really excited at a brewery the other day, a smaller one in Chicago, because they had a non-alcoholic beer on tap that was like theirs. And it wasn't just like this other one. Like they had a couple of non-alcoholic beers. And I was like, yes, I will try one of those. I I have a lot I know a lot of people who um are alcoholics and they've been like beer is the identity of it and they are sober now. But breweries are a vibe. And whether you're drinking or not, it's it's a fun place to be, but it's about beer. It's a brewery. One of my favorite breweries in Des Moines is Confluence. Um, and their thing is where good thing, their logo is where good things come together because it's where the Des Moines River and the Raccoon converge and confluent. Um, and they've got so many NA options. They've got a, a like, um, a hazy IPA, they've got an ale, they've got a pilsner, they've got a malty. And like, usually when there's an NA somewhere, it's like O'Doul's. Yeah. And the fact mm -hmm. that, and I, I don't know if it's a Confluence beer, I don't know if it's their actual brew, but they have the option and they provide a lot of them. And I, I see this a lot with um, comedians in Chicago. Like, I know a lot of sober comedians uh, and people who were upset when white coffers came out and they're like, can we just have seltzers? Can we just have soda water for ourselves? Mm -hmm. And are you bringing it up? And I think people need to realize and honor the history of breweries, tap rooms, pubs, how that was a communal place, bars, are communal breweries are communal and you should be able to go there and be a part of a community and not drink or not you know i think that's something that establishments who are focused on alcohol whether it be a bar or a brewery specifically you neglect your sober clientele because there are a lot of people who love those environments who don't drink or can't drink who don't go anymore or because of the fact mm -hmm. that well i just have to drink water you know mm -hmm. yeah that's huge i mean mm -hmm. if a brewery wants to be a gathering place they really need to offer as many options as they can and yeah. they have to be inclusive in that too i see mm -hmm. bright lights in some places and it's like that's not neurodivergent accessible yeah. um it's like people are just not thinking about these things, these things that exclude mm -hmm. people. And when people get excluded, it's not just excluding them, it's erasing them. Because then yes. people think like, oh, and this is all a racial thing too. Because then people mm -hmm. think like, oh, beer's only for men, beer's only for white people. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're not only excluding people, you're erasing them from the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and your idea of queering beer, like uh, queerness has so much to do with race. Mm -hmm. and sexuality and gender and the reason we use the word queer is because it's intersectional it's not one thing and community is not one thing and communal places are not one thing for one person or they shouldn't be and 
yeah, I mean, we we mentioned it in the beginning, but just the aspect of race in the history of beer alone. Like, like beer mm -hmm. started in what? Like Mesopotamia and Egypt and all those places. And then it was exported out and then it was westernized and then it was colonized. And then it was, you know, all of these people who've had fermented wines or beers, like the... um the agave beer that you were talking about or, or corn and maize and all these things mm -hmm. erased. And now when we think of beer, we think of Bierstein in Germany. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge, huge part of beer. But we can't erase and say that that's the entire history. Yeah, and there's a lot in the industry that has been really negative and racism driven in mm -hmm. malt liquor. The history of malt liquor would be ooh, something else I could talk about. <laughs> Whoa, we might have to have you back on because I would love I would love the aspect of it. And I can make it about Chicago by talking about because <laughs> Chicago. I don't and that's our time, friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I genuinely love it when you talk about Chicago and I'm so interested in it, like enraptured. I just love giving you shit, Natalie. Because Nicholas, they won't take you down a peg. So again, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> no, I will always bring it back to Chicago, but sometimes that's the assignment. And when I joined, it just talking about the history of, of malt beverages and malt liquor, uh, I went, when I went on our friends, a tap on the wrists podcast, and I talked about uh, Francis Willard, I had a side quest because of course I did on that podcast because they had done that whole season was about like, the Chicago beer wars and like Capone and, and Chicago and alcohol and prohibition in Chicago, where I kind of rattled off some old, very old prohibition era laws that are still on the books in the city of Chicago or in Cook County. And a lot of them, if you look at them and if you look about like what they are regulating, what they're saying you can't sell in Chicago, you can a hundred percent be like, oh, you did that that's a that was a fully racial driven decision based on just the community that happened to buy that beverage more often or like even if race it would be a race and like economical decision of you just don't want these people to have access to these beverages anymore so we could we could just we could just go in to malt liquor but we don't have to buy I mean, Chicago did invent redlining and then trademarked it to every aspect of what they do. So, like, that's what they do. That's Chicago history. No, I'm kidding. Chicago's uh, major export is racism. So, uh, actually, it's not really an export. We really um, keep it here constantly. <laughs> we export to ourselves. We export to our imports. Um, but also just America in general. Happy Native American Heritage Month, by the way, because we're recording this close to Thanksgiving. Or as I like to call it, National Sorry Day. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. As it should be. No, that's Columbus Day. <laughs> it should be. It should be. Oh, Cass, you definitely said something on this episode that was so on brand what do you mean you know like you have a brand the way you look and communicate what you place value in all of that is your brand just typical you being you oh how do you know so much about brands oh 
Well, I've worked with Bates Marone's Sweet Design. Who? Bates Marone. They're a boutique branding, marketing, and web design agency based in Chicago. They've got great strategists, designers, and copywriters who all work together to make brands better. How do they do that? They combine research and storytelling. They find out why a brand is the way that it is, and then they bundle all that up into a nice little package for the business to take with them and use going forward. Shoot, that sounds great. Right? Well, are they just for huge corporations though? Oh, absolutely not. They have experience with all sorts of clients from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. If you want to see some of their past client work, learn more about their processes, see what it takes to join the team, or if you're just ready to schedule a meeting, go to their website, BatesMarone.com. That's B-A-T-E-S-M-E-R-O-N.com. I want to bring something else up that, Nicholas, you've mentioned to me, just because it is interesting and also just because we just brought up malt beverages and just like the idea of queering beer and how beer is regulated in America and how it's talked about. You told me that hopped beer is regulated by a different organization, like a different uh, party than unhopped beer and they're considered different things. This blows. Oh my gosh. I wanted to talk about this. I just pulled up the page. So uh, yeah. Sorry, we tangent real hard. (laughs) No, that's great. The yeah, alcohol like beverages in the United States are regulated by the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, or the TTB. Mm-hmm. Um, and under the TTB definitions of a malt beverage, uh, the malt or sorry, the TTB defines a malt beverage as malted barley and hops. So technically, everyone's making malt beverages according to the TTB. Uh, and beer is regulated by the inter- is defined by the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 and means uh, a longer thing than just malted barley and hops. It means like malts of all sorts of from rice and uh, all sorts of different uh, grains and different sugar sources and uh, doesn't even mention herbs or spices. So technically hard seltzers like White Claw are beer. Uh, My beer solely because it doesn't use hops is a beer uh, and is uh, regulated more by the FDA than the TTB. Uh, Which really for consumers, it really just means our labels look different. Yeah. It's just a crazy thing to think about because it's like, okay, the definition of what a beer is doesn't include what the average American would be like, that's a beer. Uh, And it's because the definition of beer is broader than the definition of a fermented malt beverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. It's one of those things that's even, it's just so hard to even communicate because it's so backwards and so antithetical to what people consider as beer. It's like, I have to do mental gymnastics and I've been, I've known it for a really long time. I can only, I see people's faces and they're just like, it does not compute. Like this is something that impacts me on a day-to-day basis and it does not necessarily impact you. And I understand that, but uh, it's, it's, I, I know more about this than you ever could hope to possibly understand. And I'm confused. (laughs) Technically my beer isn't queer because your beer isn't beer. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. 
<laughs> and again, I don't know what exactly you just said, but I know that it rhymes, so I'm with it. I'm I'm here for it. Cheers, queers, beers. <laughs> My favorite toast. Nicholas, is I, I know that there's exciting things going on at Herbiaria because we talk about it from time to time, but is there anything else just that you're excited about on the horizon about Herbiary or just about like your own journey with herbalism that you want to share? I've decided you're a witch. I hope that that's okay. Oh, 100%. Great. In the best, like... There's no bad way to be a witch. There no. Mm -mm. All witches yeah. are witches. If you're choosing to be a witch, you're on the right path already intrinsically so um love that you would say that um i would say i'm making like concoctions um charms if you will uh <laughs> little tinctures and gifts um for people for this for this season um and one thing i'm excited about is i got a lot of aronia berries or choke berries from my godfather and i made uh, a lemon aronia berry cordial uh, with some gin. Okay. That is something to be excited about. Is your godfather also who you got that like sick ass haul of uh, uh, chamomile from that you sent me a picture of once? Yeah. 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 He's been growing some herbs for herbiary and I'm building up my inventory till I can hopefully brew a full batch of beer with things that he's grown on his property, central oh, Wisconsin. Amazing. And we, uh, we love, we love to just in history decide that we discovered or invented things that we had nothing to do with. That is most of history is just laying claim to things that you have no business laying claim to and claiming them as your own. So it, with, with that spirit in mind, is there some, is there a recent discovery that you've liked to, that you would like to share with us? What have you discovered recently? Hmm. I discovered tarot recently. Have you heard of it? This thing? I discovered it. Um, I'm so glad that you discovered this. I feel like this could really change lives and help a lot of people. I think it's really um, going to take off. Yeah, I think so. Um, but it's, it, you must have you must have like discovered it a while ago and it's really blown up because I have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. That's <laughs> wow, good. You, you're marketing. Phenomenal. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, it's oh, uh, it's super cool i'm really getting into it um and i've got a cool deck that's really queer it has like no human characters in it and it's changed all the monarchy to different things it's like speakers instead of kings and walkers instead of knights and uh, i am fascinated with tarot for a variety of reasons but like a huge part of it was i don't i didn't realize until like a year or so ago when you discovered it that there that there were like all these custom decks and how much of a illustration and artist side of tarot there was of of just reimagining all of the different cards and i find that gorgeous and fascinating oh should we back up though and can i should i define it should i define what it is yeah some please. people don't know i don't know should i say what it is please 100 percent uh yeah i don't know tarot is a deck of cards and it's used for divination um that's basically what it is and it's super lovely nicholas do you have any how did you get into it do you have any books you've been reading because i've been wanting to get some books and learn more about it oh yeah tons of books i've got queering the tarot right now it's by cassandra snow um it's kind of like an activist queering look at tarot uh it goes through all the cards it's 
that's a good one querying the tarot another one that goes through all the cards and is more like traditional is kitchen table tarot um and i forget who wrote that one but um also uh also a good resource uh and then my deck is the tarot of many doors i don't know if it's still in production but it's uh really really kind of rewrites a lot of the cards and i well, i'm gonna i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit and just be like listen listeners dear readers if we do a uh shared history holiday gift guide again this year which i feel like i've mentioned and i have single-handedly mentioned enough books this season that we might have to then 100 percent Nicholas, you have given us many things that I'm like, hmm, shared history gift guide. I will recommend. I feel like this episode has been a boon for like so many different people that pe you have to buy gifts for in your life. And I'm uh, so listeners uh, go to at shared pod on Instagram to, to see that if we put it out there, that is where it will be. I say if because I'm busy and it'll depend on if I remember this conversation in five minutes. No, uh, we're going to do a gift guide this year. I'm too jazzed about it. So you can find that at Shared Pod. Uh, you can also always ask us, uh, give us any questions, corrections, or suggestions over at Shared Pod on Instagram or Twitter on our website, sharedhistorypodcast.com. Nicholas, where can people find out more about you and about Herbiary? You know, if they didn't listen to the ads in this episode that definitely told you where to go. <laughs> uh madison wisconsin we're distributing justin madison so sorry we can't ship beer to your house yet um but trip out of it yeah come to madison it's beautiful madison, we got lakes great. um we got lakes <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so you pretty much have to be here but yeah we're opening a tap room in spring on the east side of the city winnebago street for those who might be here uh and uh hopefully coming out with four new beers uh Ooh. wow soon and where can they follow herbiary on the social meds oh yes that's at herbiary on you can do that on instagram or facebook uh herbiary h-e-r-b-i-e-r-y and also herbiary.com uh it's a made-up word so all the domains and uh usernames were available so hella hell yeah a made up word that just feels like it wasn't made up at all like just doesn't feel like it was it's perfect all of these things will be linked below in the show notes of course like we do nicholas thank you so much for coming on and just just delighting and enrapturing us thank you for being a sponsor um because literally what you do helps us do what we do and so brag about what you do and it's like just a beautiful circle jerk. yeah and so friends um continue that circle and <laughs> respectfully <laughs> uh nicholas is helping us who are helping you learn and be not toxic history uh listen to us and go to herbiary and just keep this beautiful Love train going. We should love train circle. going. This is called a circle of love. <laughs> I'm bad because I am hashtag stay toxic. But that's not what we want to say to all of you listeners. What we want to say to you is until next time. Stay toxic.
Share, Share your, your later. later.